Hello, listeners. Welcome to A Writer's World. This is Sean Griffin, a poet and writer who hopes to share some part of that world with you here on KWNK. It's a big subject, and we'll see where it leads. Today's program is entitled Tony Curtis and the Irish Imagination. Those of you who listened in last week will know that I just returned from the Clifton Arts Festival on the Connemara Coast, about an hour north of Galway. There were so many poets at the festival, I could not do them justice in one show. This week, I want to fo- focus on the poetry of Tony Curtis. Tony was the poet in residence for the festival, which many spent most days in nearby schools teaching poetry. After that, he ran back to town to introduce the poets and writers who were at the festival. His introductions were filled with reverence for his fellow poets, many of whom he has known for decades. At dinner one night, Tony shared his recent books, Between the Tides, an homage to female poets, and This Flight Tonight, an epic poem on the first transatlantic flight from North America to Europe. After the festival, my wife and I went on to Spain, and I read each book slowly in our little flat in Granada at the base of the Albaicene. Between the Tides is a chapbook of 24 poems paired with photographs from the Cork coastline. There are biographical notes on the poets which flesh out the collection and help the reader to understand the depth of their contributions. Unlike many other anthologies, it is a personal testament to the legacy they have left. So often these poets are framed in an historical context of what their male counterparts have done, but not here. To name a few, Curtis brings Sharon Olds, Yvonne Bolin, Sappho, and H.D. into a much fuller and compelling picture. Listen to his short poem on Edna St. Vincent Millay, the first woman to win the Pulitzer Prize for Poetry. Edna and All That Jazz I switch off the lamp by the bedroom door, white pillows untouched just lying there. My lover's head is at rest elsewhere, her lips kissing someone else's hair. Curtis's poems gave me a sense of the women who wrote them. I read and reread the notes that followed the collection and felt in some cases like I finally understood who those women were. Some were new to me, poets from Australia and Ireland, women whose work I will return to in the future. Others I have read for years. But in this small refraction of their lives and work, particularly set against the photographs of Liam Blake, the poets become part of a larger song, one that is only now beginning to be sung because, as with so many endeavors, the poets have not been given their due. Here, finally, there are, they are of a mind that will not adhere to the echo of men. As it turns out, Tony Curtis wrote this book as a distraction from writing the long poem which became This Flight Tonight. A novel in verse, Curtis traces the 1919 journey of Captain John Alcock and Lieutenant Arthur Whitten Brown from Newfoundland to Ireland. A wealthy English Lord Northcliffe put up 10,000 pounds for the first person to make the transatlantic flight. Just three months prior, Alcock and Brown did not know each other, but Alcock, the battle-tested fighter pilot, and Brown, the engineer-come-aviator, met at the Vickers Vimy factory in Weybridge, Surrey. Out of that chance meeting began one of the most historic flights in aviation. Over the course of nearly 300 pages, Curtis tracks hit this staggering journey. Building the plane in England, getting on the boat to Newfoundland, putting it on the train north, 
building a runway in the forest, bringing the equipment, fuel, crews, mechanics, and, of course, finding the right day to fly. They were competing with three other teams for the prize, so time was of the essence. When to try and take off in the miserable fog and rain of Newfoundland. There were many times I forgot I was reading an epic poem, so compelling was the narrative. A mix of journal entry, poetry, illustration, and memory, their story lives closer to myth. It's as if two men and an airplane company conspired to create a vision of a further horizon, one that had been relegated to fantasy. And when you you read of the flight, what they endured through the darkness, clouds, ice storms, and nav lights that went out, it's like an odyssey. In the middle of the night, an exhaust pipe falls off one of the engines, and the flames and the noise are feet from the cockpit, and still they flew on. Over and over they had to view the night sky to recalibrate their heading, and more than once they were unable to do so, but flew on nonetheless. It's hard to contain what these men did in poetry, but Curtis finds a way into their lives, their histories and desires, to keep them human, and more important, to keep the reader in the plane. They were running against themselves as much as the other teams. They were determined to find that other shore. Listen to this excerpt entitled, A Glance. I glance left as Teddy lights the yellowish cockpit lamp above a nest of charts and maps resting on his damaged knee. Just a glance, and still the war comes flooding in. We could be cold night raiders getting ready to bomb and burn a sleeping city. In the shadows on my side of the cockpit, I think of all I've done and might do again and something dark within me shies away from the light. Or this passage from Brown's journal. With the engine stalled at 3,500 feet, we fell, rolling, spinning, tumbling for 3,400 feet through thick gray fog. Pinned to our seat, I felt that we were bouncing off the edges of clouds, being pelted by snow, sleet, and frozen air. Everything appeared to be lost when suddenly... A hundred feet above the ocean, the air around the Vimy cleared, and that was all Alcock needed. Falling sideways, with the wingtips facing down toward the waves, he punched the Vimy's throttles forward, and the stalled engines awoke with a roar. The fight and flight were his. Eight hours later, they would land in a bog outside the town of Clifton on that same Connemara coast, and hence Tony's interest in their flight. When I closed the book in tears, I looked at my wife and said, This has a sweep of a great novel, and I can't understand why it has not been widely reviewed, let alone read. As it turns out, the book has not been reviewed in the Irish poetry press, which is a deep loss, one that I hope will be rectified before long. Sometimes the best literature must speak for itself, and this book does that. It claims its place in the long tradition of epic poems. My dear friend and poet Sam Green thought it was like Patterson, William's great poem about his homeland. You don't set out to write something bold and captivating. You struggle with every line, every day, until it seems you have nothing left to say. Tony has spoken through the eyes of the many men and women who made this flight possible. But most of all, he gave us the spirits of two men who for 16 hours were so much larger than the lives of most who walk this earth. 
I want to close with Tony reading Eileen's Reindeer from Between the Tides, followed by the glory of prayer from this flight tonight. This is my poem for Eleni Quillenon, written as if it were a poem by Eleni Quillenon. Elaine's Reindeer The late night train from Glasgow was late, so Elaine sat in the waiting room, making poems from the ice patterns on the window. Two nuns sat across from her, crumpled onto their seats like discarded sacks of black prayer. A reindeer came to the window. Only the poet saw its glimmer. She whispered the secret words, watched the animal turn slowly back into a wall of stone. The nuns looked out the window into the biblical darkness, then, like harmonious figure skaters, blessed themselves. Uh, this is the very first poem I ever wrote about Alcock and Brown. It's from my book, Folk. And this poem is so full of inaccuracies that I had to write this flight tonight <laughs> to fix everything up. But, uh, so I wrote this poem. I'd done no research. I just sat one morning in uh, Foyle's Hotel um, and wrote it before my breakfast and uh, then read it to my friend Michael Cody and uh, he suggested one or two changes, and that was it. And Eris Landon. And then there is the story of the two aviators who landed outside Clifton. But I don't really know it. I just know they were British. One from Old Trafford, the other from Glasgow. And their names were John Alcock and Arthur Whitten Brown. And they were either very brave or very foolish. For the way I heard it, they boarded a kite, attached to a garden shed, attached to two Rolls-Royce engines, and then hurled themselves like Newfoundland geese into the wind. And once they were up, not having a bird sense, they had to fly their crate through the mouth of St. John's Harbour to be sure they were heading east. They say it took them 16 hours and 27 minutes to cross the 1,980 miles of ocean. And in the frozen night mist, Alcock was often unsure which way was up. And Arthur Brown repeatedly crawled out onto the wings to chip ice off the engines. But I'd say that was nothing to men who'd just come out of the Great War, four years flying over no man's land. Sure the bright side was... No one was firing at them. I'd say they just held on to the wings and sang. Isn't that what the British do? So here we go. On that clear blue morning, as they swept in off the Atlantic over the wild toss bed of Eris Lennon, I wonder what they were thinking. Or was it all just tears? Four years of sadness released by the beauty of Ballycanely and Inishbuffin, by the soft breasts and belly of the mountain, reaching out to feather them down. Tony has given us two portraits, 
of women singing far from the borders of tired literary expectations, and of two men who similarly broke with tradition to live in the history of flight. This concludes our program on Tony Curtis and the Irish Imagination. Please join us in the Collective Ethersphere on the first and third Sundays at 5 p.m. for our next meditation on words or stream it at kwnkradio.org. And please support your local independent bookstore. In Reno, that's Sundance Books and Music, and in Las Vegas, that's the Writer's Block. They're open and we need them. Thank you, be safe, and spread a little kindness wherever you are. Finally, to our friends in the Ukraine, do not give up hope. The globe is with you now and in the days ahead.